Good morning, Twitter. I'm Chantal Fallens. He's David Mack, and you're watching AM to DM. Good morning, and we have, of course, uh, Isaac and Saeed free today. Yes, hit the road. They're, They're on the road. to San Francisco, yes, I believe. Yeah, and they went to JFK early this morning. Yeah, so. we saw some sad tweets from Isaac this morning, looking a little bit, uh, Saeed in particular, actually, yeah. looking a bit sort of worse for wear at the airport. Yeah, oh, so I'm not jealous of that. However, I am jealous of the road trip. Yeah. Agreed. Have agreed. so much fun, guys. But we get to fill in, and that's going to be fun. And you yeah. know what else has been fun? Listening to non-stop Aretha Franklin for the past 24 hours, it feels like, right? Yes. It's all over my timeline. To see, like, honestly, I can do everyday Aretha Franklin songs forever, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And so I love the profound impact that we're seeing she had on so many lives. Truly an icon. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just so, like, nice to see everyone come together and just rejoice in music again and just listen to her voice. Yeah. It's been so wonderful. She was so timeless. She's a genius. She could do everything. Yeah. I'll be speaking more to our legacy later in the show with culture writer Tommy Abaro. And we want to know, what's your favorite Aretha Franklin song? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm Have you got a favorite? I will say until you come back to me and mm-hmm. say a little prayer. Yeah. Say a little prayer. Yes. We were just listening to that we're before just, we yeah, came on. We were just listening to our it. stage manager was just bopping to that, <laughs> reflecting <laughs> on my best friend's wedding. He loves it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I've listened to uh, the Natural Woman performance oh, that made Obama cry like five times iconic. since yesterday. Yeah. She said in an interview that was like one of her favorite nights of her life. And yeah, you can see it was why. my favorite and I wasn't even there. It was beautiful. <laughs> All right, well, let's start this morning with this top incredibly important story. It's about a thick cat. Yes, you heard that right. A thick cat. I'm saying that as one word. From Illinois that is living a better life than most of us. He truly is. Look at this. Bruno, a 25-pound polydactyl cat, loves to enjoy the finer things in life. Bruno's pet adoption agency, Right Way Rescue Adoption Center, said he loves to be petted while he eats. Same, same. That's not all. The high-maintenance cat has a habit of standing on his hind legs, as you saw there, and he only drinks water that is put in a completely different room to his food. Wow. Bruno is me. It me. It me. Uh, This this has gone super viral on Facebook. This post has been shared from the vet agency, uh, from the adoption agency, like thousands, thousands of times. Yeah. I doubt he's still available for yeah. adoption, let's be honest. Bruno's like living his best life. Right, well, I mean, he also requires a lot. He's yeah. got a big rider, just like all the celebrities that come on this show. Truly. He has to be treated in a certain way. Yeah, he doesn't like his food, his water next to his food. Yes. Like, same, I don't like my food touching, so the cat needs what he needs. My favorite line was that the, uh, the uh, adoption agency said, even though he has this wonderful belly, please don't touch his belly. He doesn't like it when you touch his belly. Which I get as well. Like, people are always touching my belly. I'm like, are they? Are are you getting constant belly rubs? People are like rubbing my belly. They're just like, hey, please, please respect respect my my space. Okay, Twitter, we want to hear from you. What's the most high-maintenance request you've ever made? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm Have you got any diva requests? Like I will say, Bruno? I'm a little embarrassed by this, but I'll say it. So, like, when it comes to delivery, like, it was, like, kind of, like, raining one night, and, like, there's a sushi restaurant across the street from my old apartment, and, like, it was right across the street, and I ordered delivery, and when he dropped it off, he was like, sis. I see nothing wrong with that. Like, you know what? Honestly, like, I feel like I gave him a tip, so you know what I'm saying? Like, live your, like, I'm living in the truth. Put that, rub my belly. Yeah, rub my belly and be, leave me alone. Look, all right, (laughs) moving on. Here is a tweet (laughs) from BuzzFeed tech reporter Nicole Nguyen. A few years ago, it was a place you felt proud to be working at. The series of incidents in the last few years have made it much harder to hold on to that feeling. Nicole is quoting an anonymous Google employee who spoke to our reporter, Caroline O'Donovan, about the dark mood inside the tech company. Employees are revolting over Google's plans to build a search app for China that would be censored in accordance with Beijing's strict party lines. Now, more than 1,400 Google employees have signed a letter demanding greater transparency from the company's leadership. Here to explain this drama inside Google is Caroline, who first published this protest letter. Caroline, good morning. Good morning from California. Good morning. Tell us why the employees there have such a problem with this Chinese search project, which I believe is called Dragonfly. Yes, the codename is Dragonfly. And I think because Google's mission, you know, is to organize the world's information, uh, there's a lot of employees, there's some employees inside the company who feel like building a product that has censorship kind of baked into it uh, is at odds with the company's mission. There are also some employees who, who don't necessarily have an ethical problem with the idea of censorship. There are some who feel like bringing an American technology back into the country and a technology company back into the country could potentially have a positive impact. Um, Google's actually in China until 2010 and left over some political and ethical reasons. Um, but there is definitely a, a vocal group of people who feel like building products for censorship doesn't make sense for what Google claims to want to do in the world. 
Interesting. So, Caroline, tell us, why is it important for Google to break into um, China and how do the people in charge, how are they justifying it? Sure. So Google CEO Sundar Pichai has said repeatedly in public that he's interested in going back to China, which is why some Google employees I spoke to said, you know, they weren't that surprised when they heard about Dragonfly necessarily. Um, but in China represents one fifth of the world's market. Google is a growing company. And like I said before, some people really do feel that um, the the introduction of, of technology from the United States could potentially bring more access and more information to people. There could be some sort of soft power or leverage situation down the line. Right, but this isn't the only project that's causing some uh, drama there inside Google. There's also something going on with the Pentagon, correct? What's this project about? Sure, so that's Project Maven, which was a, it is a Pentagon contract that Google holds. Uh, it's an AI technology for drone warfare. Uh, Google has, because there was a previous protest petitions from employees and 12 employees quit in protest over the Project Maven contract, Google has said that it won't be uh, renewing that contract with the Pentagon when the current project is up. Um, it also published, Google published some AI ethics guidelines following the, the Project Maven dust up. Um, but I think there are a lot of employees who felt with Dragonfly, even if it wasn't as ethically clearly a problem to some of them, that because both of those projects came out um, in press reports, not in internal company announcements, that there are some issues with, with the transparency within the company. I think employees don't like feeling like they're learning from about some of the more controversial projects their employer's working on from the outside. They want to hear that stuff from the inside if, if it's going on. Yeah, so they really want to be kept up to speed with what's going on with the with everything. So besides these particular projects, what's going on with Google employees, what other concerns do they have in regards to ethics and secrecy and things of that nature? Yeah, so it's it's interesting actually from a cultural perspective. I think um, when I something that surprised me in the reporting of this story was the extent to which Google employees really do expect transparency from their leaders, and that's a specific culture that um, Google has built. You know, there's this culture of uh, an engineer on their first day on the job can search pretty much anything in the code base at the company. Um, you know, people, HR executives who've left the company have written books about this, right? So I think that helps to understand why there would be such an upset about this. I think at other companies, people would say, why would you expect to know about this kind of thing? But I think at Google, um, it's different. There's also been uh, other controversies in the last couple of years at the company sort of like a, a culture war among employees is how some people have described it. Um, there was an engineer who worked at Google, James Demore, who wrote a manifesto that many, many people found to be um, quite sexist. He was fired, but following his firing, there's been a lot of um, debate that some people feel has been more targeting and harassment of certain employees who are pushing back against um, certain sexist and racist ideals. This is also part of Google's open culture. There's a constant dialogue going on between employees Many Some employees that I spoke to um, were more focused on activism around that, around diversity and inclusion. People tend to feel like there's a, there's a trend. There's a concerning trend um, where the communication between rank and file employees and executives has, has started to break down at Google. And I think that's why we're, we're seeing things like the petition that's being circulated now, demanding more control, more oversight, more transparency. From, from a small, I mean, Google has 80,000 employees, right? And as of yesterday, 1,400 had signed this petition. But I think that's why we're seeing this level of rancor within the, the ranks of Google. You're speaking about trends there. And I just want to know, how does this, what's going on at Google at the moment, reflect these kind of bigger trends in the tech industry there, where employees are demanding greater accountability from, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world? Yeah, so this, they're calling it at the moment sort of the tech won't build it movement. I think that there's a sense among uh, employees at various companies that they want to know what they're working on and, and who their employer is working with. Um, so employees at Salesforce, uh, which is a giant company here in San Francisco, have signed a petition saying that they want the company to break its contract with Customs and Border Protection. Microsoft employees have done the same thing over um, an ICE contract, and there, there are certain groups in the Bay Area that are helping to educate and, and train employees uh, in, in worker organizing. So I think, you know, it's not as though the majority of, of tech workers yet are involved in these movements, um, but it's definitely a, a growing conversation and something that the employees I've spoken with think that we'll see more of. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely follow this story as it develops. Thank you so much for joining us, Caroline. Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, we have to go to an important breaking news this morning from the president. Let's bring that up. I love you, hello, and happy sweetener day. I am screaming. <laughs>
Yes. Nothing but respect for my president. Ariana has dropped her new album. She has. Sweetener. Sweetener day. And fans are already obsessed. Here's a tweet from Tia Hill, associate news producer at Genius. Ariana Grande's album is already a bop, and I'm only halfway through. Uh, Tia joins us now. Tia, how are fans reacting to Sweetener? What's the immediate reaction? Hey, well, I personally thought the album was really, really good from Ariana. Like, you can tell that she's grown so much with this project. And, of course, her stands love it. They already loved it. They were already tweeting at her, like, for all these hints for the album. And, you know, listening to it last night, there were so many tracks that I was like, wow, wow. Like, with every track. Um, my personal favorite is Sweetener, just because, like, Pharrell produced it. Pharrell produced a lot of the tracks on the album. And they're all just so clean. Her vocals are amazing. Like... The whole project is just very, very solid. Amazing. And speaking of Pharrell, he co-produced and wrote a lot of these songs on her album. Yeah. What other artists did she collab with on this project? Um, Missy Elliott um, was featured on one of the songs, which is interesting because Ariana, the three music videos that she released leading up to the album, they were all directed by Dave Myers, who worked closely with Missy Elliott. And a lot of those Ariana music videos were beautifully done like god as a woman is just like iconic madonna is also in god as a woman she like her voice is in it she um does a monologue from the bible actually and it's the same monologue that samuel l jackson does in pulp fiction so like watching that music video is like that takes you on a trip so that was like a very beautiful piece and um Pharrell, Max Martin helped produce a lot of things. Ilya also worked on a lot of the tracks. So it's like a solid body of work with some really great collaboration. I just think back to like years ago when she was caught licking those donuts. Oh, yeah. And then of course we had the Dangerous Woman album. But like she's had a rough few years with that horrible yeah. event at her concert last year. And she's found love since then, yeah. obviously as well. How do yeah. you think stylistically this album reflects her evolution? Well, I definitely think she's more confident on this album. You know, she has the song that's literally just successful and she's just talking about how successful she's been. And I think she's leaning into her success and kind of, you know, celebrating it and being bold with like new choices and new sounds that we haven't really heard from her before. And I think this album is so clearly an Ariana Grande album as opposed to just a pop album. You know, you can tell that this is her sound that she's really bringing to it. And you can tell that she was really involved in the project and she really cares a lot about it. And in interviews leading up to the album, you know, she was really like, I want to share this, I want to share that. And she was really hyped for it. And then when it dropped, it was like, it was 100% worth the hype. And I think you see her growth throughout the album, just like in the sequencing of the songs too. She kind of talks about, you know, being strong in certain ones, like her breakup and then Pete with the song that's literally called Pete Davidson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really? it's just like a tribute to him. But it's like a really beautiful thing. And the, the, end, of this, the end of the album... She's just like, you know, very encouraging. And listening to the song this morning, I was like, yeah, I can do anything. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Yeah, like Friday she, motivation. She did that, honestly. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of her uh, song called Pete Davidson, point, mm -hmm. point, direct to the point. Yeah. What impact do you think, if anything, uh, Pete Davidson had to her album and her project? Well, I definitely think she's really, I think they're really, really happy together. Um, in a lot of the other songs too, you can like tell there's lyrics, obviously like about a lover. But I think knowing that they're a couple really like, breathes new life into it it's not just like a love song or like a love pop song it's like this song is probably very clearly about pete davidson that song is pete davidson um i think in an interview on jimmy fallon recently like yesterday she was like if it wasn't named pete davidson it would just be called this song is about pete davidson so um <laughs> he's obviously been like a very positive influence on her life and it's cute like she's so like upbeat and talking about how much things have changed for her and how happy she is so i think that's like a good couple it's producing some really great art wow we stand a straight to the point queen yes. exactly exactly so for joining us tia thanks tia all right thank Twitter. you all right, Twitter, let us know what you think of Ariana Grande's new album using the hashtag am to dm Up next, fire tweet. We're going to play the album in the break. Yes, Let's we are. Go. We're yeah. going to jam out. Sweetener. Welcome back. Uh, we asked before the break what you think of Ariana Grande's new album, and I'm getting some responses already. Kirsten Baptiste says, I'm happy she's happy. 
I just ain't really that into it, but I'll give it a couple more rounds. Ooh, hot take. I gotta say though, I am one of those people as well. A first listen. Oh yeah. I'm like, uh, what? Yeah. Like I remember, I'm gonna say, I'm sorry, I'm gonna admit this, but I, there's a couple of Beyonce albums that I've listened to the first time, been like, Whoa. I don't get it, and then I've been like, oh wait, I get it. Okay, which one? I'm no, I'm not digging okay, any deeper listen. holes in that. I'm not yeah. digging any deeper holes in that. You are about to change okay, the complete sorry, conversation. Sorry, okay. we're gonna go to some tweets <laughs> just to move on from this. Here we go. <laughs> Sam Gretner. I can relate to blenders because I also scream while I'm doing my job. Yes, same. <laughs> every every day, <laughs> fresh screaming every day. Yeah, every day of life. <laughs> Next up, Abby, you tweeted, "Old West Saloon owner, make it so the floorboards don't creak when regular patrons walk in, but do creak when a mysterious stranger walks in." Carpenter, what? <laughs> that that was like. So scenic. That's so real. I envisioned I, all of it. Like I saw the scene. It was, was great. It was setup. like Westworld. Truly, right I was like, "Where's the guns? That like, was where amazing. are they?" All right, here we Good. go. Jazz. When Tinkerbell started dying because she didn't get enough attention, I felt that. Yeah. I felt that too. <laughs> That's like the cat. It's Bruno the cat all yeah. over again. Like, Just the right amount of attention. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Next up, Frank Pallotta. Movie Pass. A year ago. You can see any movie once a day. Movie Pass now. In order to see a movie, you must face three challenges. First is the path of God. Only the penitent man shall pass. Second is the word of God. Only in the footsteps of God shall he proceed. Last is the... Okay, so we really... <laughs> Did you ever have movie pass? I did, and I canceled it two days ago. Did you really? I've had enough. I've had enough. This I felt done? like next up they were going to ask for my DNA, my blood sample, my kidneys. I was like, I have nothing left to give you. It was good while it lasted, right? But the yeah. dream is I saw about 30 over. movies, so I will say I got... You saw 30 movies? Yeah, I saw... Okay. I really leaned But now it's it. basically, yeah, there's no... Yeah, you can't see anything it, anymore. All right, all. tweet of the day. Here we go. You ready? We're doing this together. <gasps> Yeah. All right, tweet of the day from Goth Turtle. It's officially Friday, you know what to do. Tweet rise and grind, even though I don't have a job. Don't get out of bed till 4 p.m. Get my ass kicked by some teenagers as soon as I walk outside and back to bed. That wow, is a move. That is quite an itinerary. Okay? Yeah. Okay? <laughs> like, let's get the I am worried about like, you. Yeah, let's, what will we pray? <laughs> oh my gosh. God. Well, don't go back to bed yet yes. because up next we're going live from the district. With Tarini. Yeah. Right. Welcome back. We're going live from the district now with BuzzFeed News. White House correspondent Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning, guys. Happy Sweetener Day. Happy Sweetener Day. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a tweet from Yashar Ali. Per White House pooler Tarini Party, President Trump on Aretha Franklin's passing described her as a person he knew well and who worked for him. Now, Tarini, we understand you had quite a situation with this quote earlier. Um, what happened with this? Yeah, so I was the, the print pooler yesterday, which means I was in the cabinet room as this cabinet meeting was going on. The meeting ended up lasting about an hour, but the president made uh, pretty big news when he kicked off the meeting by talking about Aretha Franklin and more specifically when he talked about how she worked for him. So I put out this pool report and uh, it was already sort of making waves on social media. People really wanted to know what exactly he said, how he phrased it, and and, you know, when uh, the, the, the rest of the cabinet is talking about NAFTA and border separation, all of this other stuff, everyone on social media just wanted to know what exactly the president said about Aretha Franklin. You could have counted me among those people. Like, <laughs> I got the email from you and was like, wait, what? What, yeah, what like, just happened? What is going on? Uh, because she never, yeah. I mean, we, she, made, she performed at some of his hotel openings, right? But I don't think she ever worked for the Trump organization, right? That's exactly right. She performed at his casinos, at some of his hotels, some, you know, various Trump properties occasionally, but she never was on the payroll, obviously, for the Trump organization. Right. Okay. So just to clarify, Aretha Franklin never had Donald Trump yeah. as a boss. Okay. Yeah. Glad we got that out of the way. Here's a tweet <laughs> from the actual president this morning. The local politicians who run Washington, D.C. poorly know a windfall when they see it. When asked to give us a price for holding a great celebratory military parade, they wanted a number so ridiculously high that I cancelled it. Never let someone hold you up, which is great life advice. Tarini, what on earth is going on with this parade? I'm so confused. 
Yes, so there's been so much back and forth last night and this morning about this parade. So just to give you a quick breakdown, uh, essentially yesterday CNBC reported that this parade was going to cost $92 million, which is obviously a lot of money. And the Pentagon refused to confirm the number, but they did end up saying they were going to delay this parade until next year. And then we woke up this morning to the president's tweets, uh, and he seemed to confirm this $92 million uh, number in his tweets by saying it was going to be too expensive. So he made the decision, he says, to cancel it. And then he ended up blaming it on D.C. local uh, local politicians. So he's blaming it on the mayor and others here in D.C. who are Democrats. Okay, wow. So Trump's blaming everyone but himself. That's surprising there. So why does Trump want to have this parade in the first place? So the president went to France last year and attended the Bastille Day parade there and was very impressed by it. Uh, You know, he likes the sort of the pomp and the show of of these kinds of things. Uh, So he came back and said this was something he wanted to do. Um, So, you know, initially they they drew up some plans. And I think the original cost uh, that they said was 12 million, which obviously is nowhere close to this 92 million dollars. So they were proceeding with those plans up until everything we learned yesterday. Right, $92 million, of course, because to have a parade, you need security. They were going to have to worry about, I think, reinforcing some of the roads so that (laughs) tanks could go on them or something like that as well. Now, I know this idea was getting a mixed response in, in veterans groups, wasn't it? Right. So uh, the American Legion put out a statement yesterday saying that they would rather see this money going to actual wars than uh, war zones where American troops are still fighting and, you know, in an effort to sort of bring them back home rather than have this big parade here in D.C. Wow. So here's a tweet from Stephen Perberg about Stormy Daniels' lawyer who says he is considering a run for president. Michael Avenatti has a different political origin story than other potential 2020 Dems. Ryan Brooks and I dug into his early career under Rahm Emanuel, where he learned the dark arts of oppo research and once hopped over a moving train to make a deadline. Wait. Like, (laughs) whoa, what? Excuse me? Tarini? James Bond. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) Tarini, after reading this article, do you think we should take an Avenatti run for office seriously? Please, God, no. Please. So... (laughs) So Michael Avenatti is making the right moves that any presidential contender at this time would. He's going to Iowa. He's going to New Hampshire. He's doing the the state party dinners and events and whatnot. But it's it's hard to take him that seriously at this point. And I think it's fair to say that he needs to be treated with a lot of skepticism because, as we know, you know, we've seen him on TV, on cable news for the past few months. He likes to be in the spotlights. He spotlight. He sort of relished that. Um, And so. So this could be sort of a play to help his own brand uh, rather than actually run for president. Dear God, I, okay, I'm getting, I'm feeling like I'm having a trigger experience, Tarini. I'm getting flashbacks. I think you would agree <laughs> to a certain someone who may have flirted with the idea of running president for a long time just to get publicity and then things started happening. Uh, is this just all part of the world we live in now? Everyone who wants publicity is going to run for president? Uh, yeah, so you mean the flashbacks back to that escalator ride yeah, down at Trump Tower? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you're, you're right. <laughs> so, it, I mean, this, the world that we live in now, if it seems that if you are media savvy, if you're a celebrity, if you have name ID, these people feel like they can run for president. If Trump could do it, then why can't Michael Avenatti or any of those other, uh, you know, the Mark Cubans of the world who have also sort of flirted with, with the idea. So I think in 2020, we could definitely see some interesting um, celebrity type candidates running in, uh, in the same way that President Trump did. I mean, while we're at it, we should just let animals run for presidency. We, we get point. what like, we deserve. Let's Bruno, let Bruno like, run for presidency. Bruno the cat! Yeah, please. <laughs> He's got my vote. That's what Mine I'm saying. Mine too. <laughs> Tarini, tell us, what experience does he have outside of representing Stormy Daniels? Yeah. So we learned through uh, 
through Stephen Perlberg and Ryan Brooks's reporting that Avenatti has actually worked on numerous Democratic campaigns. He did a lot of opposition research work. Um, now, as, as you guys mentioned in that tweet earlier, a lot of politicians always talk about how they, you know, knocked on doors growing up for different politicians, did a lot of sort of grassroots type stuff. But Michael Avenatti did what is now widely known as opera research. He kind of dug into the past of various uh, candidates um, to essentially make them look bad and his candidate look good. Uh, so he worked for this opposition research firm um, that Rahm Emanuel was involved with. So he was sort of in those Clinton circles early on and very active in Democratic campaigns. So he knows the ball game. Okay, great. Good luck to us all. That's what I think. <laughs> Let us pray. Oh, uh, Tarini, look, you got some exclusive You're so excited for 2020. I, uh, right? <laughs> I mean, I feel like everyone's doing it. I'm pleased to announce right here, right now, I'm running for president. Oh my gosh. I'm not an American and Breaking I'm not news. 35, but I am running for president. <laughs> and you're not over so 35. I'll see you on the debate stage. Tomorrow. It probably doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Good, exactly. Thank you, Tarini. Thank you. Uh, up next, we're going. Chantal's going to sit down with Regina Hall to talk about her new movie, Support the Girls, yes. and of course, how she was the best thing in the Scary Movies franchise. Yes. Stay tuned. Cindy, your TV's leaking. I'm Chantal Fallins, and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with actor and comedian Regia Hall, who stars in the upcoming film Support the Girls. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. I love these shoes. We just talked about Thank them. You. Hello. <laughs> Get into this. They're everything. I mean, I'm, you better watch yourself. I'm going to take these from you. I know. They're a good <laughs> And they're comfortable. Are they? I love that. They, they really are. They look amazing. They're comfortable. They're so good. So, into your movie, you mm -hmm. star as a sports bar manager in your new yes. film. You play Lisa Conroy in your mm -hmm. new film, Support the Girls. Yeah. I mean, you do everything from comedy to drama. What was it like to film this this role and what drew you to it? You know, I read the script and I really did love it. It was a slice of life film about these group of, of girls and this woman who work at this place. And the backdrop for the kind of sisterhood that they have there, you wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. And I just loved, uh, you know, the humanity that, that Andrew wove into his characters. And I loved the writing and it made me laugh. Yeah. It made me laugh. It made me feel a lot of things. That's what I should say. It made me laugh. It made me feel happy. It made me feel emotional. Like there were so many things that I felt in the course of like reading that script and watching the film. And it all took place in a day. Oh wow. In um, one day? Yeah. You shot in one day? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. We shot, shot, but the movie it's it's a movie Daytime. that takes place in one day. Awesome. So how does it feel to be the first black woman to play in a leading role by of the many films from Andrew Belosky? How does that feel? Wow, I never thought about that. that yeah, the good. first one. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, shout out, <laughs> shout out to him. Shout out to Andrew Bujelski. Yes, yes, we yeah, love it. No, first, it was great, yeah. and I was I was really honored. And you know, it's wonderful that he took a character that was didn't need to be any race, and mm -hmm. you know, he decided to make her. Um, you know, an African-American, a black woman, and that was great because the race is not a part of, of the movie. You know, she mm -hmm. just is, she just, she happens to be she black. Is. She's she herself. just is. She She's herself, exactly. Amazing. So one of the great things um, in the movie, your character is deeply protective mm -hmm. of her coworkers. Mm -hmm. And one great thing about that is in the industry, Hollywood, mm -hmm. how important is, is it to you mm -hmm. to be supportive and protective of your peers? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, you know, important. I mean, I, I, I love, like I have friends and, and people in the business and people who aren't in the business and the support that we give each other. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's how we survive it, mm. you know, the good times, the bad times, because they're, they're both, they're hand in hand. Yeah. You may have some incredibly great moments, but then you have other moments that are extra challenging. And so I just, I don't know, I find that, you know, to be able to give and receive that, it's, 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 um, it's so paramount. Like, yeah. Absolutely. And speaking of your peers, mm -hmm. you are best friends with Sanaa Lathan, mm -hmm. who you met on the set of The Best Man. I know. Now we have to ask you, mm -hmm. what was your reaction when you heard about the alleged who bit Beyonce earlier this year? What was your reaction as her best friend? I think I was the last to hear it. And I mean, I know Sanaa, so I didn't really have the reaction that everybody. You were just like. Yeah, I knew that it wouldn't. I knew it wasn't that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have anything. Yeah. Did she confess anything to you? <laughs> <laughs> she's confessed many things to me, not but not that. that. But okay. 
<laughs> She's confessed and I to her. <laughs> okay, okay, awesome. We love a best friend. <laughs> so speaking of the best man, that was your first major movie role. Mm -hmm. And then you went on to play the legendary role of Brenda Meeks in Scary Movie Franchise. I know. I loved iconic Brenda. legendary role. I know. At the time of filming, did you have any idea that Brenda would be such an iconic no, character? No, I was just happy to work. <laughs> you were happy to have a job. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about her being iconic. I just no, I just was like, oh, it's great. I was a big fan, still am of the Wayans, and so, you know, I loved Keenan, and so. <laughs> no, it's so funny to see that too. Um, what was your I favorite thought thing about it. filming it? Filming it was just fun. You know, I, uh, Anna Ferris and I became really close on that movie. Oh, did you? And we stayed, we have stayed friends. So it, that was a big part of like, uh, that was really fun to work with Anna and just, um, it just was funny because we, I, I got to be like, how far can we take it? Yeah. You know, she was, I was the, you know, black girl that was, you know, loud and she was the white blonde girl that was dumb. We, we were like, how much fun? How, where can we take it? And that was the great thing about it being a broad comedy is that we got to play into the stereotypes. We didn't have to worry about being politically correct because that was the whole point of yeah. the of the movie was that we 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 were like playing into yeah. it. So it was fun. I loved Brenda. I still love Brenda. Yes, she's so iconic. Did, did, was there any improv involved in that movie? Oh my goodness, we did so much improv. Was Keenan the popcorn is, scene improv? The scene wasn't, but a lot okay. of the lines were. Oh, so good. Yeah, okay. a lot of the lines were, were, were improv. And that was the great thing about working with Keenan, is mm -hmm. he really supported and encouraged it. He would be like, oh, go for it. As long as you made him laugh, he kept it. And but if he didn't make you laugh, he'd be like, uh. uh who told you to redo it? <laughs> he'd be like, nah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of iconic roles, last year you starred in an instant classic, Girls Trip, which I loved. I have not laughed that hard Aww, in years. So this glad. Is so good. Well, is there going to be a Girls Trip too? I think so, yeah. Yeah, we're trying to make that happen. So we're trying to, um, you know, get everything together now on the schedule. And, you know, I think they're working on something. So, yeah. I don't know where we're going. I don't know where the girls are going. Okay. But, you know, it's but you're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Okay. The girls are coming back. Flossie Posse. Yes, we love the Flossie Posse. <laughs> love them. I was like, can I be the fifth member, please? Like, hello. I know. <laughs> I know. When we went to Essence this year, we saw saw girls that had glossy posse. Like, they oh, were did all they? Kinds of oh, my gosh. Yeah. What was that like seeing the impact of what the movie had on Oh, Essence it was great. I mean, all those women who showed up, you know, those are the same women who came and supported the movie and saw it and went in droves and went, you know, people took the movie like it was a trip. You know, they went mm -hmm. with groups and so... Because there was, was a huge great. turnout this year for Essence Fest. And yeah. It was a lot to do with the girls' trip. Yeah, it was, so, it was yeah. wonderful. I mean, we felt incredibly grateful to, um, you know, to be able to have such a positive effect. It's a great festival, you know, period. And um, to just actually be able to see the results and feel that kind of mm. response and feel all that love from everyone was yeah. so good. Such an impact. So yeah, it was, no, it was, it was, it was, listen, the, the, they, well, you guys, all of everybody, you made that film you know yeah what it was be what it was yeah, absolutely yeah. and mm -hmm. tiffany haddish said that if there was a sequel she wants meryl streep to play her mom i know that's i mean what she said. we love casting so yeah. if you could cast anyone in the next movie the sequel who mm -hmm. would you choose well shoot i guess i'd have brad pitt beg to okay. have me okay yeah know. so what role would he to... play love interest you know maybe like a hot one night mm, stand you okay. know what i mean that i do again yeah you're just like you're Isn't there is there like a four night stand i, I mean, you can make you can do whatever you want, Regina. You can have a five-night stand, six-night stand, yeah, wherever you want. a seven-night stand. You know <laughs> seven-night stand. Yeah, call it a week. <laughs> <laughs> call it a week. A hot week. A week-long stand. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we love it. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been in the industry for so many years, had so many iconic roles. And to me, in my opinion, you are one of the best, the greatest Aww. comedic actors of our time. Thank you so much. Do you much. feel that you get the recognition and the credit that you deserve and that you've worked so hard for? Um, I don't know that I necessarily look at it like that. I mean, I just know I've been blessed to have a really long career and work with great people. And I mean, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest accolade you can get is that you keep, you're allowed to work. You're, I keep, you know, like support the girls. I'm able to do different parts mm -hmm. and, and do things that people wouldn't necessarily see me in. So I think that is like, I mean, that's really why I do it. So, I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I just, I love, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say I love what I do most of the time. Now don't ask <laughs> me, don't ask me at 5 a.m. when they're like, Regina, you have a 512 pickup? <laughs> You're like, oh, this should rethink like, this. What did I do? I know, <laughs> I know, until I'm in, in like, until, once I'm in the car, I'm like, okay, okay. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's yeah. great. I'm, 
Is there any route or direction in your career that you want to go that you haven't tapped into yet? Mm. Well, I definitely want to get more into producing, mm. and I just started tapping into that, and that's exciting. Yeah, I, yeah. Can, I, can, I definitely can see you behind the scenes. Oh I mean, yeah, directing all of that. Yeah, I really, eye. I really, and I really want to produce and, and perhaps direct. I mean, there's so much new, fresh, young, amazing talent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That I'd love to be like you, you, you. You know what I mean? And work with, and you know, maybe not, you know, necessarily on camera all the time, but to be able to. Um, you know, create work, create jobs, and, and, and really, you know, be able to provide material mm -hmm. that you could really see, you know, some, some great young talent do. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you're watching right now that you're a huge fan of? TV, film? I can't wait for the new season of Ozark. Oh, yes. You're a fan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. There's so much great television. If you want to watch one, you can watch Black Monday with myself and Andrew Reynolds and Don Cheadle. Oh, yes, Cheadle. plug. <laughs> yeah. Don Cheadle um, on Showtime. Awesome. So before you became an actor, you were actually in school for to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. So with that direction, everything is acting is your final path. But with directing, is there something that you think that besides directing or producing that you would not be doing if it wasn't for this trajectory? What's something that you're just like, I wish I could have done that? I wish I could have done. Um I don't know that I have that, but I mean, I love doing hair. I could okay. be doing hair. Wow. Yeah, I love hair. I mean, I you were in barbershop. I mean, did you learn a thing or two? I did, but you know what? They were shocked at how much I knew already. Really? Yeah, because I was like, I, was, I said to Malcolm, I was like, I think I want to do my hair like green. And he was oh. like, I was like, maybe. Because you had a lot of good hairstyles in that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So, hairstylist. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that would at least, that would be fun for me. Like, if I had great clients and I got to travel, but I don't know. I could also be a. You know, I love sociology, I love theology, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I could also be one of those people. All kinds that, of hats. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm quite interested in the world, you know? It's amazing. Well, Regina, there is nothing you can't do. We love everything love you, you do. Congratulations on your new thank movie. You so and thank much. you so much for joining us. You guys are so great. This is the cutest set. Thank you. Don't you love it? Don't you I love do. the orange? I do. I <laughs> do. It's like sunshine. It's yes, bright. Yes, you it's love bright. the color. You I brought the, the, the red, the yeah. shoes. Yes. <laughs> one more time. We love it one more time. Yes, for real. <laughs> thank you so much. Support the girls will be in theaters on August 24th. Stay tuned for my AM to DM. Welcome back. A year ago today, Hurricane Harvey formed off the coast of Barbados. Harvey went on to devastate the city of Houston and much of southern Texas and Louisiana. Joining me now to talk about her experience surviving the hurricane and going on to become a climate activist is Ali Lopez, a sophomore at Texas A&M and founder of the organization Houston Strong for Climate. Ali, thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you for having me. Hi. Ali, I understand you were in a shelter for a week this time last year. I can't imagine what that was like. Try, try to paint a picture of what you did inside this shelter for a week. So, um, we were just about to go to school. It was the weekend before the first day of school. And they had warned us that um, upcoming on August 25th, around that time, we we're going to have a, a Category 2 hurricane. That's what they said at first. It was going to be a Category 1, Category 2 hurricane. So we kind of figured it was going to be some rainfall and they were going to just evacuate us. Oh, first, they were just going to cancel school. But then um, the next day, they told us it was going to be more major. It was going to be a Category 3 hurricane and they were going to have to evacuate us to College Station um, only for about three days is what they said. So I packed for about three days. Um, I forgot a lot of stuff because I was freaking out. So I come from El Paso, Texas, where we don't get a lot of rainfall at all. So going into that atmosphere and uh, knowing that there was going to be a huge hurricane coming in, I was rushing, forgot my laptop, my charger. Um, I forgot so much necessary things that made my week over there very terrible, but I got through it. So once we got over there, it was about, um, we were already packing it through. I didn't have any friends there, so I really couldn't talk to anybody or have anything to do on the meantime. Plus, my phone wasn't charged, so right. it was really hard for me. But uh, once we were there for about three days, they were telling us that we're actually going to have to stay there for a week. So that's I already ran out of clothes. My phone isn't charged, so I was kind of at that point. 
I was figuring like what's gonna happen next. Um, so once we were there, I was just having a terrible time trying to adjust on what was happening. So uh, the only thing I could do was plan. And after that point, all I did was ever, I was planning, planning how to fix things, how I can help after I get back. I went to the local library and just looked up all everything I could on climate change and what was happening with the weather. And at first I didn't really know what climate change was, but I wanted to know why this was happening and why we didn't know it was coming. Right, so you're sitting, you're sitting there in that shelter with all these beds laid out, all these cots, your phone is dead, and you have decided there's nothing more I can do except start to work out what the hell is going on with this weather event. Uh, what did you learn? Uh, I learned a lot of stuff. For, well, for, for first, I learned uh, what a category was when it came to a hurricane. Right, that's important. So, yeah, that's a major thing. I learned what a category one, a category two, and three and four. So when they told us we were at a category two or three, I was like looking that up. But after everything happened, they were like, you know what? This was a category four. You're staying here for a week, and that's that's that. And uh, why they they didn't see this coming too much. Um, that's what I was concerned about. You know, whether weathercast usually could see this coming, but I think it was just so heavy and Hurricane Harvey was just so traumatic also. I think it was out of nowhere and I think it has to do a lot with the climate changing. Right. And we're kind of speeding up that process. You, yeah. you talk about, you, you've decided since the hurricane to switch your major to climate science. And I'm wondering, was there a moment when you were thinking, yeah, this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to now? I think at one point when we were uh, evacuated and everybody, you know, um, the people that evacuated us were like, come on, let's go play foosball. Let's like get the, our minds off of it. But everybody was surrounded by the, the television and seeing the news and seeing everybody, um, you know, all the water that was flooding in Houston. And I think at that point I was really like, how could we let this happen? And why am I sitting here? My feet are dry right now. And I'm like, I'm not being able to do anything. So at that point, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to not prevent it because I'm, as one person, I can't prevent a hurricane, but I can sure as heck uh, prevent, you know, from elected officials or can get them to do something about it. Because I think that's where it starts is it what our elected officials do about yeah. it. Uh, you've since created an organization called Houston Strong for Climate, and that's part of uh, 350.org, which you've also partnered with uh, the Center for American Progress, which we should disclose is a, a prominent left-wing organization. But what is, the organiza what is the aim of your organization? Um, my aim is not is very uh, bipartisan, so or nonpartisan, I'm sorry. Um, I really want to get people from all over to see this as an issue that's it's not a really a a left or right side issue. It's a issue that affects all of us, no matter what background you're at. Uh, the environment, you need it to breathe. So it doesn't matter who you are, you need, you need the planet to you know, sustain itself. So I think that's my aim is to get everybody's story and how all of it, it affects us. But we need the proper administration and elected leaders to do that. And we need to become climate voters for our own health and for our kids' health and for the future. So I want everybody to join me and become a climate voter, go to go be a climate voter, because that's how I'm here today, because I shared my story and I want other people to share their story. I feel like there's so much more that we can do if we come together well, in that way. Bravo. I have to say, last this time last week, I was sitting down with uh, Emma Gonzalez and some of the March for Our Lives activists here in the studio. And I'm wondering, do you feel like your generation, uh, with all this work that you're doing, that the March for Our Lives kids are doing, do you guys feel like more politically active and attuned than generations before? Um, I actually feel like we're coming back. Um, we're, uh, I actually met Emma Gonzalez about Three weeks ago, I did a panel discussion with the uh, March for Our Lives um, people, and they're amazing, like the things they went through, but also how they're doing with um, getting out to the community. I think that's like that's one of my goals. I want to get out to the community. And uh, one of the things I said on the panel discussion was that we saw this. What was ha what's happening right now? We're seeing we saw it again in the 1960s when all these global movements were going on. We also saw this with the Cesar Chavez movement. Obviously, it was more severe back then, but now since we're seeing kind of like a, we're going back a little bit, we have to go forward again with all of these new movements coming through. 
We have to get back onto the Paris Climate Agreement. We have to get back on certain things that, you know, we had already pushed forward to. So but with current administration, we're getting away from the climate action part of it. Well, Ali, best of luck uh, with your work. And yeah, thank you for uh, fighting for the environment. Thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, stay tuned because more AM to DM is coming up next. Villa tweeted, remember, Aretha Franklin wasn't just the queen of soul or a music icon. She broke racial barriers. She changed conversations. She was an activist. Her legacy goes beyond music. We lost a great one today. This one hurts hard. Going to listen to her all damn day. Same. Here to talk to me about Aretha Franklin's legacy is Tomi Abaro, editor at BuzzFeed Reader. Good morning. Good morning. Are you ready to talk about Aretha's amazing, iconic legacy? I'm ready. Now, I'm ready. you tweeted, Aretha Franklin was just was more than just a great voice. Mm -hmm. Now, to you, what made her such a genius? So, I mean, I think a lot of people don't know that she arranged a lot of the most famous songs. Like she was the mm -hmm. one that did that she arranged Respect, which was originally an Otis Redding song. And so she was the one that came in and was like, hey, I think we're gonna do it this way. She taught herself how to play piano. And um, there's a really great biography by David Ritz called Respect that mm -hmm. talks about how when she was growing up in Detroit, she was the daughter of a famous pastor who knew who was like friends with all these famous people. And she would just like come and, and sit at the piano and like would play what she heard, like note for note. Mm -hmm. So like there was a level of genius in her very early on that I think people don't really recognize. Yeah. And they tend to only think about her as like a great voice, you know, the queen of soul. Exactly. But it was like she was out here like writing songs and producing things and often wasn't getting credit for it. Yeah, and speaking of her not getting credit with her arranging, producing yes. and you know, writing a lot of her music, why do you think it is that people don't give her put, put some respect on her name? <laughs> yeah, I mean I think unfortunately it's a reflection of the way that we often think about black women artists, mm. musicians in particular. Yeah. I think it's very easy to be like, oh, you know, black men, like Prince, Stevie Wonder, like they're, they're obviously geniuses, you know, they're playing all their own instruments. Mm -hmm. And because Aretha mostly, when we saw her perform, she mostly sang. Yeah. I think people weren't necessarily aware of like, oh no, she was behind the scenes, sort of owning and creating visions for her music. Um, and it's unfortunate, but like, I mean, she was, she really was a genius. Yeah. And I think like that word has become blunted a bit mm -hmm. because, you know, we tend to like be kind of hysterical anyway, but like, for real, she yeah. was a genius. And now y'all know, she did that. Aretha did she it all. She really did. Yes, for sure. Very, very much Yeah, so. and speaking of her iconic just realm of being able to like touch everything and everyone, mm -hmm. what's, let's talk favorite songs. What's your favorite Aretha song or songs, if you will? So, you know, it changes, honestly, on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I can tell you what I'm currently been listening okay. to. It's like, you know, four songs on repeat. Uh -huh. For me, I love People Get Ready. This oh. is on Lady Soul. Yes. It's like a Curtis Mayfield cover that she did. And it's just so heavenly. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, Mary Don't You Weep, which we talked about, which is from her album Amazing Grace. That's like her tour de force. Okay. Like, that's like, that's a song like I'll be like working and then I just hear her go, and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Comes at you. Yeah, so yeah, there's that one. There's like Save Me, which is one that she wrote, which is like on one of her earlier albums. You were talking about A Rose Is Still A Rose. Yeah, Rose Is Still A Rose, Until You Come Back To Me, same. Yes. It changes probably every 30 minutes yes. at this point. Like yeah. she just had so many, I forgot how much of an impact and yes. her just range of her amazing, yeah songs like she did it all she really and did. speaking of her songs what are some of your favorite covers because she touched covers yeah. as well so even times I didn't even know that the songs weren't yeah. hers yeah yeah like she made I them mean, her own and like I mean her most famous song respect is a cover wow um so yeah I mean there's that I also really love her performance of Nessun Dorma which is like a Puccini oh. opera song okay. that she did she famously subbed in for Pavarotti last minute at the 1998 Grammys and just bodied it. And I think it just really shows her range. Like she could do gospel, she could do jazz, she could do opera, like mm -hmm. she could really do everything. Do everything. And you know, people, the, there have been articles about like her Beatles covers alone, like her cover of Eleanor Rigby, or like the bands The Wait. Like, Aretha just had true range. She had the range, the, the epitome range. of the range. Mm -hmm. And not only just her songs and her covers, she was an amazing performer, live performer. Yes. What are some of your most, you know, memorable yeah. performances of hers? Yeah, I mean, so like there's the 2015, and this is like one that people talk about a lot, yeah. you know, at the Kennedy Center Honors, when she she did You Made Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, she came out, sat at the piano, mm -hmm. played on the piano, took oh. off her mic, yes. Barack Obama <laughs> was crying, Kyle <laughs> King was Everyone, crying, yes. I was crying. Was crying. <laughs> it was, it was just a moment, and I think, and 
also because she was like well into her 70s at that point mm -hmm. and she still sounds so good yeah. and there's so many other divas who have come after who haven't been able to maintain that same level of like just vocal control and quality yeah. so that I mean is like one of her more recent performances there's also one that I think is available on YouTube of her doing Like a Bridge Over Troubled Water which mm -hmm. is another cover yes. that she did at the Fillmore in the 70s and this is sort of when she won over the white counterculture because mm -hmm. it's like all these white hippies were like who's this who's this woman and she just came and sat at the piano and was like just like killing it bodying yeah. it um, so that's another really great performance but there's so many like you can just I just like I honestly will just go on YouTube and just type in Aretha Franklin yeah, live and, and go through everything. the archive I mean she truly has a forever have the reign so yes. her covers her performances mm -hmm. are there any like projects or readings or things that we can look at see mm -hmm. that will give us a more in-depth like understanding yeah. of Aretha and her yeah. amazing work ethic so like the book that I mentioned I think is one that if you're interested in learning more about her life mm -hmm. it's a very honest look um, it's called Respect by David Ritz it was a biography published in 2014, and he talked to her family. He talked to her sisters. He talked to her brother during the 80s because he sort of like knew a lot of people in the industry. He talked to like Smokey Robinson, Etta James. It's just like packed with sources, and like they are very honest. Like it, it was a book that when it came out, Aretha was like, "This is trash." <laughs> but, really? kind of thing. but you know, Aretha, she you know she cared about her reputation. Yeah. It was an, it's a very frank look, you know, and and it shows her human side because you know there are a lot of ways in which she suffered. Yeah. She had abusive relationships relationships and was very insecure um, but was obviously so talented and the book that gets at all of that and really, really complex like, yeah a full way that makes her seem human which I think is honestly more interesting yeah. than, like I feel like there have been a lot of platitudes about her and it's sort of like no she was human she was you know crazy talented yeah. but human but as human. well I love how she the talk about her how she used to take her money from her performances <laughs> and stuff in her bag yes an icon yes always it. always in cash and mm -hmm. she was like afraid of flying towards the end of her life so she never flew anymore like towards the end yeah the originator of secure the bag honestly really really <laughs> and truly well Tony yeah. thank you so much for coming on thank today and talking about an idol we love her so much all right up next Dave and I are responding to your tweets stick around Welcome back. Can I just say how much I enjoyed that chat with Tommy? That was oh, beautiful. Thank you. I love Tommy and I love Aretha. So her piece is brilliant. It's so everyone so read the piece. We're gonna tweet that piece. It's so amazing. great. So great. And I also loved your interview with an amazing young woman. <laughs> I mean, also like Harvey was such a tragic event. Right. But I love that how you covered it. So you're from Houston, right? I am. I'm from Houston, Texas. Yes. And did you guys get any damage when? No. Thank God, my family had an amazing. My mom and dad were like, we will not be doing such yeah. things. So they got an elevated part of Houston. So wow. thank God they weren't affected by okay, it. I can't believe it's been a year. I know. So I, I. It's crazy. It's but crazy. I'm happy that the changes are coming for the city. Amen. Well, let's read some tweets. Yes, let's do it. We asked how you're feeling about Ariana Grande's album Sweetener. Katie Tamala says, I want to be buried with at least 11 <laughs> copies. This is getting grim, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a quick take. You know? uh, again, yeah. I feel like I need a couple of listens to yeah. most things to get into them. Same. So ask me on Monday and mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm going to like... Ask me on Tuesday. I need like more time. My coffin will be full of them. <laughs> uh, here's one from Saberbreaker who's no Ariana stand though. Ariana has a new album, huh? I'm too busy jamming to Ninja Sex Party's new album that came out today. Great name. Great name. Wow. Love it. Had to Google them. Yeah. Uh, they're a comedy duo, and I will say to each their own. I am yeah. very excited they got some free publicity here as well. Same. I live your best <laughs> life, you know. <laughs> Christian has an interesting take on Michael Avenatti's presidential ambition. <laughs> this is good. America won't vote for a bald president. That's a take. That is some. Yeah, uh, take. Can you think of the last bald president that we I, had? I don't know. Maybe I'm like Eisenhower or something. Yeah, That's a while I don't ago. Know. Yeah. You could argue that the current president might be bald. He's just done to a lot of work to Ooh. kind of. Fix it. Hot take indeed. Well, that's sorry. I don't know. I don't know. All right. <laughs> listen. Uh, it's Friday. Thank you to our guests, Regina Hall, Caroline O'Donovan, Tia Hill, Taruni Party, Ali Lopez, and Tommy Obaro for joining us. Next week, I'll be sitting down with Estelle and Terrence J. Estelle! Yes, we love oh an gosh. American boy. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I'll be back on Monday co-hosting with Stephanie. So have a good weekend, everyone. It's Friday. Friday.